0: Mackle. Mackle.
1: Hello, Hava. Hi.
0: Hello. Hello. Everything about Zencaster is different.
1: Yeah, I know. It's a little...
0: It's dark mode now. Yeah. There's a little button at the top that says playground. (laughs) Yeah,
1: what? I'm a little nervous.
0: (laughs) It's not a button, apparently. I think that's just the title of this room. I don't Uh,
1: know. No, no. The title of the room is time for the pod. That was my choice.
0: Right. My Zencaster room, my choice.
1: I don't even know where the record button is. You know? Oh dear! It's okay. I mean, I don't really use that record button usually, right,
0: except for the few instances where it's absolutely vital.
1: <sighs> Everything is changing.
0: You know, whatever.
1: Yeah, whatever.
0: Embrace the chaos.
1: I'm embracing it, Michael. Yes.
0: How are you?
1: Um, the dog is about to bark. Ooh, and there he goes. <laughs> grunt <girl>. Oh <laughs> fuck me in the face oh no skeeter skeeter quiet he'll calm down in a bit grunge girl just pulled in with the car so he's excited mommy's home right i am good i'm good oh 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 started eating started making and eating salads regularly <laughs> yes. big
0: pot update salad reveal this oh, week on yeah. Hi. how are you
1: it's been so tasty yeah so good yeah yeah let me tell you what i put in my salads
0: tell me tell everyone
1: okay 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 lettuce macerated onions some cut up cherry tomatoes a little bit of cucumber if it's there and then i do a little bit of cheddar cheese and a little bit mm-hmm. of, of uh, what, what is those called? Like those pickled yellow peppers?
0: Banana peppers or pepperoncinis? Yeah,
1: I don't really know what the difference is, but one of those. Mm-hmm. And a little bit of oil, salt, and pepper. And sometimes a little bit of capers. A little bit of extra
0: Oh, little pop! Got it. Capers is the first thing I've heard. That's that has not been the most normal salad ingredient in the history of salad ingredients. You're a trad salad wife.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, but I've been enjoying the salad lifestyle.
0: (laughs) Have you heard of our Lord and Savior salads?
1: I don't know what else is new. You know, just fantasizing about Jewish themed earrings again. Oh that. well,
0: that's a that's a big comeback.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I'd like to do that. Thinking about mikvahs, I looked into how difficult it would be to build um, like a mikvah in the woods. Oh my
0: god, so difficult.
1: Yeah, it's 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 not. It's easy. a whole thing. It's a whole thing. <laughs>
0: Who'd have thunk it?
1: Yeah, I think much easier to just live by the ocean and then like build a room in the ocean. I think that might right. be the easiest. Uh, Way right to go about ocean doing it.
0: the mik- the mikvah of the commons.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's it. I'm I'm good. I'm happy. I'm alive. How are you, Ava?
0: Baruch Hashem. You know, I'm a I'm a a little bit of a mixed bag today. So recently, a dear friend needed to rehome their dog, and as longtime listeners and longtime friends will know, I have wanted a dog for a long time, and so I thought I was going to be the one to take this dog. And spend a bunch of time trying to make that work. And in the end, apartment management would not work with me and it's not happening. So that was a whole fucking roller coaster oh, of no. life. But now' I've, I've like accepted that. I just have to name that I like was on that emotional roller coaster. you know, I can't pretend it didn't happen. Yeah. And then today, something I, I hesitate to even say for because I don't want to make it real, my nerves were, Percolating a little bit. Also, longtime listeners of the pod will know that I have a chronic neurological condition that comes and goes, and I don't want it to be coming. So, any amount of twitchy nerves sends me into a stress spiral about what could happen. Stressing about it and paying attention to it is like the exact opposite of the best thing I can do to prevent an episode from coming on. So. You know, that's taking up a lot of brain bandwidth, literally and figuratively today. That sucks. Yes. Uh, that sucks. It does suck. Thinking about how much it sucks will only increase the likelihood of it sucking more, so I'm trying not to dwell on it too much. It's actually sort of weirdly like relevant to the topic of today's episode, because as I often do when this happens, I was like going into a research hole about the condition. And it turns out some of the more recent research, basically the most modern understanding of the condition is like the parts of our brain that are involved in perceiving ourselves and like knowing that our bodies are ours and like handling self-perception and like interior perception get entangled with the systems that are handling voluntary movements. And that is the sort of root cause of the condition and just like the theme of self-perception and like how do you know your body is yours like how do you know what it feels like to have an arm and the part of your brain that handles this is my arm and this is how i move it just that theme of like self-perception and and reality feels like it's very a very big part of what we're going to talk about today.
1: Oh yeah, that's where uh, that that's where we're going to go. So in the spirit of trying to heal you, should we just jump right into it?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, first I want to say two other things. One other thing is that in September, I have the honor of co-teaching a class with beloved friend of the pod, Benya Koats and Another Sfara fellow, Sarit Cantor, we're going to be teaching a class on Sundays called How to Be a Hevruta, Study Partnership Through the Lens of Queer Rabbinic Romance. If that sounds fun and interesting to you, then you should go sign up for it. And I'll put a link in the description of this episode so that you can do that. And also it's in partnership with Judaism Unbounds on Yeshiva. So it's like a triple pod crossover.
1: Whoa, triple pod. Wow. Yeah.
0: It's like DC versus Marvel. Marvel versus Capcom.
1: It's nothing like that. And I hate the
0: comparison. It's exactly like that. Because we're all going to be fighting each other live.
1: Capcom, they made Street Fighter, right?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, And a a bunch of other crazy fighting games.
1: Love it. Love it. Love it.
0: And the second thing is just to say that if you enjoy the show and want to support us making this beautiful mess that we make in your ears every week, then you should go to patreon.com slash hi, how are you? And join our Patreon to support the continued existence of this show. And if you're not able to do that, then we still are just so glad you're here listening to the dulcet tones of our silly things we have to say.
1: Yes, yes, we're glad you're here. Please consider becoming a patron. Let's jump into Russian Doll Season 1, Episode 6.
0: Season 1, Episode 6. Picture it. Sicily.
1: 1968. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Actually, right before we recorded, we got a little text message oh. from a listener I wanted to share. Uh-huh. Uh, hi, how are you? Uh, well. Um, <laughs> you
0: know. You now know, listener.
1: A thoughts on the vagina geode.
0: Oh, the vagina geode cake and the vagina geode door within the show.
1: Yes, yes. I think in, in the context of this text, the listener is referring to the door vagina geode. Right.
0: Can't believe, okay, I'm interrupting your question, but can't believe until just this moment I realize that Nadia is being reborn through the vagina geode each time. That's
1: exactly what the listener wanted to point out. (laughs)
0: Wow, listener, you're amazing.
1: Okay, this is Misha from Pittsburgh. Thoughts on the vagina geode? It's literally a vaginal opening. The bathroom is a warm, dark, wet womb. Nadia then births herself by walking down the little hallway or birth canal and out the vaginal opening right so there you go that's an interesting little observation thank yes. you listener oh and another observation also ruth's mentioning about holding two truths simultaneously reminded me of elu va elu mm-hmm. which is a passage from the talmud which is from Erevine 13b that we talked about that was a section that I think you brought, Hava, where Hillel and Shemai. there's debate about which ruling is the correct one, and right. God comes down and says that both are basically true.
0: Right. Both these and these are the words of the living God.
1: Elu elu Elohim Chayim Hain.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly.
1: But Hillel. Go with Hillel.
0: Real talk hello
1: so yeah thank you misha for sending that uh, text along to the yeah. talmud hotline about russian doll
0: yeah i think it's interesting it's like nadia in this show is sort of like recreating the birth she was never able to have because her mother wasn't really present in her life in the way that we th- we feel a mother should be so nadia is like learning to to both accept her own flawed parent and through that to reparent herself.
1: Yep, yep, yep. This episode six that we're going into, it's pretty on the nose, the mommy issues. I think we confirm a lot of what we suspected about Nadia's psychology and why she's so detached from the people around her. It's because she was hurt so
0: badly by her mom. Right. So we open. Yes. With Nadia and Alan in Alan's apartment. And they're sort of pacing around, trying to figure out the problem, sort of freaking out. Nadia (laughs) thinks that his apartment is hell, or at least it's suggested that his apartment might be hell.
1: He interprets what she's saying as that, but she actually just means the situation they're in.
0: Right. And also briefly, she stabs him to make sure they're not the same person. I felt like he barely reacted to being stabbed. He was just like, ow, okay, this is fine. And then we finally discover the answer to a question I had in the beginning about Alan, which is whether he's playing the game that Nadia created, which he is. Yes. Um, And they play video games. He is basically like, this game is impossible, and whoever created it is the worst, which is a very, every gamer has said that <laughs> at some point in their lives and possibly regretted it. And then Nadia's like, it's me. (laughs) It's me. I made it. She plays it to prove that it's not unbeatable, but then she has a hard time with it. This game, the graphics of this game are unhinged. They're like clip art.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if they had a big uh, budget to make, you know, a fake. Yeah. I mean, I don't expect them
0: to make a fully functional game, but like, it looks like a point and click adventure game from 1990.
1: What you just said is how I would describe my favorite video games. Point and click adventure from ninety. But it doesn't
0: it's a platformer. It doesn't play like a point and click adventure game.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: The problem is it feels like someone who's never played a video game in their entire lives made the game. Or possibly they were being supervised by someone who never played a video game, and that supervisor was like, no, make it look like a point-and-click adventure game. (laughs) Yeah,
1: there's continuity issues. The amount they're pressing the buttons does not correspond to uh, (laughs) what's happening on the screen. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: right. Which does feel very, there was a time, a period, early Street Fighter kind of period, where he would be like pressing five buttons and your character would be like, do one little punch.
1: (laughs) Oh, I, I hurt my thumb playing Street Fighter. Oh,
0: yeah. Classic.
1: It it was a good game. I think it's the second time already we've brought up Street Fighter.
0: (laughs) And so they're playing the game and they're talking about the first time they died. Alan is like, No, I don't know. I don't remember that. And so they decide to go to Ruth to get EMDR, which is, it showed Ruth doing EMDR. I am, I don't know very much about EMDR. I'm biased against it because I had an ex that was obsessed with it. It stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing.
1: Oh, I thought it was just a fancy way of saying hypnosis. Uh, but no,
0: I mean maybe it is. I don't, again, I don't know enough.
1: That was just what I presumed from the context of the show. I didn't, I didn't look it up.
0: So, as I have been had it explained to me, is this therapy where there's some kind of stimulus, and within Russian doll, it's like a little digital light that's going left to right. And you follow the light with your eyes while basically having therapy. It's supposed to, like, help you work through trauma.
1: Fuck that. Just give me pizza.
0: <laughs> okay, but the I feel like that begs the question, like, you've had so much pizza in your life already, and, like, yet you still have trauma, so... Well,
1: I've seen a lot of light in my life already, too. <laughs> but here's the thing. The pizza... Is delicious
0: and the light is disgusting.
1: I have to say, I discovered a New York style pizza place in Western oh,
0: West. Wow.
1: So it's not like the Greek style, it's like actually thin.
0: Right? I forgot we get Greek style pizza here in Rhode Island. All the pizzerias are Greek, it's very weird to me. So they go get EMDR from Ruth and it cuts away. We don't actually see the EMDR happening, but it seems like it goes horribly. They have a bad time.
1: Yeah, they cut away from it and they're just like, okay, therapy didn't work. They're walking in the subway. Or they like reveal that they both have bee allergies, so then they go and they...
0: Right, and then immediately get killed by bees.
1: <laughs> Which is hilarious, but I thought about like why that scene with Ruth existed, because in terms of the plot of the show, it didn't reveal a lot.
0: Well, it revealed that her mother shattered all the mirrors. Yes,
1: it revealed that. Which is
0: a very important plot detail for this episode.
1: Ruth also had the, another really good line that I thought was great, which is that we're unreliable narrators of our own lives.
0: Oh, yeah. Which
1: I thought was pretty sweet.
0: Right. I've so accepted the truth that I'm an unreliable narrator of my own life that that line just like phew, went right through my brain. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I don't know anything about my own life, whatever. It's fine.
1: It, it occurred to me while you're talking about the video game. Okay, so so they die because of the bees. But the video game that they were playing earlier, I mean, the character is constantly dying and they're an individual right. on their own. And you don't know how to play this game because you're not like a master of the universe the way I am. That's like kind of mm-hmm. what Nadia is saying. And she's constantly dying. So her you know, perspective on life is reflected in this game that she made.
0: Right, the game feels like one of those background things, like the color red in an M Night Shyamalan movie. That's like saying something, but never quite the center stage of the whole plot.
1: Right. Yeah. 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 So, like in the game, they die together. The bees. What happens next?
0: Then they get up again, and they are going to go through Alan's day, basically. Like they're going to reenact his day, uh, the day he first died, but with nadia along and so they go over to beatrice's house his girlfriend slash ex-girlfriend for alan to do the breakup thing except nadia is there and beatrice is like why are you here and she's like it's fine i just have to use the bathroom (laughs) and then she asked for cottage cheese which really grossed me out because my cousins ate cottage cheese when i was growing up
1: now cottage cheese is wrong i agree it
0: just seems like a worse version of several things.
1: Of cottages and cheese.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Neither cottage nor cheese. False advertising.
1: Yeah, it's terrible. And
0: so they break up and Nadia in the end butts in and is basically like, you don't deserve this guy. He's great. He can maintain erections forever. Like, you're a piece of shit, Beatrice. But actually, I was listening to Beatrice's breakup speech and I was like, this is actually very tender and like, honest and yeah beatrice did cheat on alan but when they're breaking up she's like i don't know i was like you're doing a good job of breaking up with him beatrice
1: yeah she's doing a good job of breaking up with him we have heard the conversations that have happened while he isn't in the room and they're not very they're not nice they're not very nice.
0: yeah right but (sighs) who of us is is nice all the time When people are watching and when people aren't. That's not true.
1: I'm nice all the time and I always use the right pronouns.
0: (laughs) Never misgendered someone in my whole life.
1: And always talk about them kindly behind their backs.
0: Always talk about her kindly. Uh, (laughs) uh,
1: uh, uh, I'm talking about people.
0: uh. (laughs) (laughs) I crack myself up. So they go through this whole breakup situation and then they go to the bar to get drunk because that's what Alan did. And she finally talks about the Krugerrand, which is the South African gold bullion coin she has around her neck. We finally talk about her ancestors being Holocaust survivors. Clearly, the Krugerrand is a, occupies a big part of her consciousness because she knows the exact amount of money she was supposed to inherit. Finally comes out through conversation that Nadia fucked Mike the guy who Beatrice cheated on Alan with. And we think they're gonna fight, but then they end up having sex instead.
1: Yeah, and they kinda like attempt to role play out.
0: Yeah, the- it's really it's a really weird sex. <laughs> at one point, Alan is like, You fucked Mike. You fucked that gingerbread fisherman looking motherfucker. Which really like got to my funny bone. And then when they're fucking later in their role-playing, Alan is like you want to see how a ginger man fucks? <laughs> <laughs> oh, really, oh. Got, really got to my soul. Yeah. Seemingly, they successfully have sex. It seems like they're going to fail to for a while because <laughs> they're having a real hard time getting started. And she wakes up after the sex and she sees Alan's shoes and she's like, I'm going to deliver these to Horse, the homeless guy who got his shoe stolen. And that way I can stop him from getting killed on this loop, which is very sweet and also very hypocritical given how she acts later. And so she takes the shoes to horse and they huff a bunch of paint and talk about how we only know we exist because of other people perceiving us.
1: That huffing paint, it went over my head. Grunge girl pointed it out to me. I was like, "What?" You didn't
0: even notice they were huffing paint. I
1: am just too wholesome and naive. I was.
0: Just, oh, they're just
1: breathing in <laughs> just a bag. Just too much of
0: a salad trad wife.
1: I'm a salad trad wife.
0: I thought there was a salad in that bag.
1: I thought they were just huffing salad, just breathing.
0: <laughs> the sweet this episode title: Huffing Salad. They huff paint and talk about how we only know we exist because others perceive us, which is. Again, big theme, both of my brain and of this episode. Then she goes to the bodega. She's finally starting to notice that the fruit is rotting. She realizes that the bodega is where she first saw Alan because she saw him when he was super drunk. In the bodega, and then she comes to home to her apartment, and Alan has cleaned it and put up several photos of her mother that he found under her bed, which this is a big Chloe Sevigny reveal, revealed that her mom is classed as Chloe Sevigny, which is, like, very love for her first appearance to just be in a brief photo. <laughs>
1: Chloe Sevigny? Oh, re- really? Was that? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah.
0: Huh. So she throws a fit and she kicks Alan out, which seems hypocritical because she stole his sh- literal shoes. <laughs> and then she invites Ruth over and they talk about how her mom tried to get the Betty Boop trademark. <laughs> that was one of her money making schemes was to trademark Betty Boop.
1: I had a friend in college whose dad tried to and maybe successfully trademarked Pan Am
0: <laughs> oh, once wow. it
1: lapsed. that was So it's uh...
0: real. It's real and true.
1: It's a thing. You can try to do it. Anyway, Betty Boop.
0: So Ruth is there and they're having this really great conversation where Nadia is doing her sort of selfish pessimism thing. And she's like, people are garbage. I hate everyone. And Ruth is like, you have to forgive them. And Nadia's like, no, fuck people. And Ruth is like, you have to forgive them. That's what I do with you, you piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. And I put in my notes, fi- Ruth finally spilling the tea. <laughs>
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah finally like telling nadia about herself which was much needed
1: right 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 and then ruth goes to bed nadia chokes on a chicken bone
0: yes nadia chokes on a chicken bone very poetic justice moment
1: again she dies being a big old grouch right she dies in a moment of grouchiness wakes up is in the bathroom and the mirror is gone
0: The mirror is gone from the womb room. The mirror is gone. Once again, bringing back the theme of self-perception and mirrors and her mother breaking the mirrors content warning for this next bit discussion of self harm. So if you want to pause the episode now and skip ahead a little bit to avoid that, if not, Keep going with us, and so she sees that there's no mirror, and she's really freaked out. Also, because she just choked alone, so she probably just realized what a jerk she's been. And she goes over to Alan's, and they cry together. And Alan reveals that the first time he died, it was because he jumped off a building. It was really sad. It was my first cry in a while on this show. It was the first thing that really got me.
1: No, I feel like you've cried at this show before.
0: Yeah, probably. It was my first cry that in in a minute.
1: Okay, okay.
0: We've been, like, in the antics zone for a couple episodes. Yes, that's true. Oh, you know what? I think I cried when she avoided having breakfast with the daughter yeah. of her ex. That was sad.
1: Oh, that was painful.
0: And that's the episode. And scene.
1: Yeah, that was the episode.
0: Oh, yeah. Also, Nadia finally really says she's sorry in, like, a very sincere way, which is a very rare occurrence on this show.
1: Yep, yep. She apologizes to Alan. Which was very very nice. Yeah, that was the episode. I f- uh, what'd you think? What'd you think, Havo?
0: I liked it. I enjoyed how it had such nice self-contained symbology about mirrors. It was like I'm introducing mirrors as a symbol, and now mirror metaphor complete.
1: Yep, yep. It had a nice symbology around mirrors. I feel like it had nice symbology around self-perception, which has to do with mirrors and existence. How do you know you exist? Things like uh-huh. that. Like the video game, like this is like a world that isn't really real, but you're participating. Right. In I didn't it.
0: even tap into the video game part. You're the one pointing that out to me.
1: Kind of existence. It's just a common thread throughout the whole series because the show is all about these two people's different approaches to existing in the world.
0: Right. And it does sort of take a different tack from episode to episode. Like previously, I feel like we had an episode where they were really exploring the possibility of multiverses and like that they were going from universe to universe. In this episode, they were more exploring the possibility that they didn't exist at all.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: You liked it? You liked this episode? Oh,
1: I thought it was great. I thought it was great. Grunge Girl liked it which gives me permission to like it.
0: <laughs> right, it has the Grunge Girl gold star. It has
1: the Grunge Girl gold star. I like there was this one throwaway line that Nadia had in the early scenes when they're first deciding what to do next before they go to Ruth, where she references the Jahari window. Oh, I don't... The Jahari window, it's just a framework for thinking about Yourself And gaining self-awareness It's like there's four mm. quadrants One quadrant is things you know about yourself And things that people also know about you And then things oh. you don't know about yourself That people know about you
0: It's a, it's a known, known
1: Yep, <laughs> No known, no known no, no. So that also kind of fit the whole theme Of self-awareness, existence mm-hmm. What's going on how, how should I behave in this world So I liked it, I liked it And it relates to what I brought All of it What you were saying before we even talked about the episode, about your experience with the nervies, the episode itself, if it all relates to what I brought. So I don't know. Do you want to... Well, let's
0: go with a twist and have you bring your thing first. A a twist here on a Hi How Are You main series episode.
1: Well, I brought a little something. It's a little highfalutin philosophical, slightly dense passage from an essay called The Science and the Religious Worldview by Rabbi Eliezer Berkovitz.
0: Okay, great. Tell me some truths.
1: Okay, well, I came across this essay when I was trying to think about perception of the world around Mm -hmm. you, being in the world, and I just thought that was, like I said, it permeates the whole series. There was a lot of symbology around it in this episode, so I just want to read you this little passage.
0: Great. Take me on a trip on your magic sailing ship.
1: Okay, great, great, great. Okay. At the dawn of modern philosophy, Descartes raised the question as to the reality of the external world since the world is given to us in sense perceptions and since these are often misleading or illusory how can one be sure of the external world perhaps what we call the world exists only in the human imagination while descartes solution to the problem is rejected most thinkers attempt to shrug the problem off. So Rabbi Berkovitz, you know, he's talking about how do we know that the external world exists, talking about Descartes, who he did the whole, I think, therefore I am like, I know that I exist.
0: Right. And very, I was just thinking like in a lot of the articles about my neurological condition, Cartesian duality is brought up because Descartes was really into this idea that there's sort of like a body and a mind or a body and a spirit you know, yep, that are yep. like two discrete spheres. My condition is one that really like exists right at the intersection of those two things that like challenges the idea that our bodies and our minds are separable in any way.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're right. Descartes was all about body and mind. And Rabbi Berkowitz is like rejecting Descartes' solution to the problem of how you prove there's an external world. Mm-hmm. He doesn't mention what that is, but I think, so Descartes, he knows he exists because he's capable of thinking and reasoning, Mm -hmm. Uh, and he also has a convoluted proof for why God exists, and I think that has to do in part with the separation of body and mind. I don't really know, but he basically... Is about proving that the external world exists because God exists, and He exists, and He has external perceptions, and it would be really, really cruel if, like God, gave me external perceptions that weren't real. So we somehow proved earlier that God was benevolent. He just, he okay. just somehow goes down this. Got it. I crazy mean, Descartes
0: says some stuff. This is not a Cartesian podcast. This and is no. <laughs> no. 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 You can go learn about Descartes somewhere else.
1: Yeah. Okay. So just the next passage when he says subject. He's referring to the person, like you and me. An Mm -hmm. object is like the external world that he's observing. So like Descartes is the subject, you know, whatever. So anyway, to imagine the universe existed only in the consciousness of a single individual as required by consistent solipsism is absurd. It's unacceptable, yet the mere disinclination to entertain a doubt because it is disagreeable to us is no solution. Indeed, there is no solution to the problem. The problem being, is there an external world? As Mm -hmm. long as we attempt to objectify all reality only if we are willing to acknowledge the subject meaning the individual person in their full ontological authenticity may descartes's problem be solved so he's saying that like you can't
0: you can't imagine that the universe outside ourselves exists in a completely objective sense
1: yes because if you were to believe that if you only believe in just this objective world around you then there's no way that you can get out of this problem of is the world actually real right so finally berkowitz gives his kind of ideas he says man the person fulfills his essential nature in search for meaning as probably opposed to descartes just thinking within the religious world view by relating himself to the divine world ground truth he becomes aware of purpose and responsibility as modes of personal existence there is something to be realized something that ought to be this concept of the ought cannot arise in a solipsistic universe in which the whole of reality exists only in the imagination of a single individual that's what he's saying So he's saying like you are searching for meaning as you search for meaning you inevitably get down to the root why question which is like why does everything exist and you like Mm -hmm. have to confront that there's something that exists beyond what is objective. You confront divinity like even wanting to find meaning embedded in that is like you're trying to find a purpose about what you ought to be doing.
0: Right. This is sort of a there's nothing so whole as a broken heart argument, which is that like the very existence of our desire for meaning and our sense of our lack of meaning, according to maybe Berkowitz, is like proof that meaning itself exists, meaning in this case being shorthand for God. It's the very fact that we're like asking these questions that proves that Whatever the questions are seeking is out there, sort of like magnets or compass needles pointing towards a pole.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I think of Nadia, in a certain way, she's approaching living in this world like a solipsistic person.
0: Right. She doesn't want to depend on anyone. She's basically like, it's just me. I'm just a self-contained little turtle all by myself. I don't need anything from anyone, and I also don't give anything to anyone
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what she consciously believes about herself. But then there's moments where it's like, that's really not what you're about, Nadia. Because if you if you were really like that, why would you get so mad at Alan for putting up those photos?
0: Right. And why would you be so miserable? Why
1: would time? you be so miserable? I thought that was interesting. And I think this point that he makes, which is from an earlier part in the essay, I think you'll be into it, Hava. Okay. Within the religious worldview, man, in his search for purpose turns naturally to the ground truth of being in order to discover the meaning of his own existence. In search for meaning, he comes face to face with the ultimate ground of being, the intention and will of the creator, blah, blah, blah. But now the world of the object, the objective world, too, appears in a new light. The will of the creator embraces the whole of creation, subject and object. The energy-charged space-time structure of brute facts, so efficiently described by science, is now itself referred to that other dimension of the ultimate encompassing the dimension of meaning and value the ontological homeland of both subject and object basically shit in the material world once you've like confronted the divine starts having meaning where it wasn't there before and that's exactly what nadia is doing when she's getting mad at alan about these photos
0: right right i mean it seems like berkowitz is saying basically everything is inside this big capsule that is God basically yep. and the limitations of that capsule are what give reality and ourselves both existence and meaning and I mean I like I like it I love it I want some more of it I'm living it baby and at the same time it does feel somewhat unsatisfying for someone's philosophical argument and maybe i'm misunderstanding it maybe we're all misunderstanding it but for someone's philosophical argument to be like if you would just believe in god you would be fine <laughs> like i get it and i fi- i find it compelling for myself but there's also something dissatisfying about it but i do feel like there's a version of it happening in russian doll where especially where like ruth it, when ruth is telling nadia like You have to forgive people for being garbage, even if they are garbage. I feel like the quality of mercy, which I think of as a divine quality, is like the thing that is being reached for to provide meaning within the story, you know, like if Nadia, Nadia, if you would just believe in the possibility of mercy and connecting to other people, you would be able to break out of this little turtle shell you're in.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that might be the specific thing the show might be dealing with. and, And I think what maybe Berkowitz is dealing with is just if you just believe in the concept of
0: meaning, right? If you just abandon solipsism, that's enough. Maybe you don't have to officially sign your believing in God membership card. But if you at least, like, let go of the certainty of your doubt about reality, then you can start getting somewhere. We're all about undoing cynicism here on this show, our spiritual program for undoing cynicism through salads and podcasting.
1: Yeah, so I just dumped a bunch of shit on you. I'm sorry, listeners.
0: (laughs) I thought you were saying sorry to me. You're like, no, (laughs) you're welcome.
1: You're the number one. No, I won't say that. Uh. You're not the number (laughs) one listener. I know. You are the... You're a you're a beautiful.
0: <laughs> there's no right way to answer this question. <laughs> Just let it go.
1: <laughs> All right, baby cakes, what's next?
0: Oh, okay, so I brought some stuff too, and I'm not sure how it's gonna be related, but I'm excited to tell you about it. And it is the best midrash on mirrors that I think is out there. Oh, okay. So this drush is on a verse from Exodus 38, verse 8, where we read, <speaking in Hebrew> And Moses made a laver, like a little device. I forget what a laver is. It's like, In my head, I always think of a ladle. Merriam-Webster says a large basin used for ceremonial ablutions. So he made a lover, a large basin of copper, and it's standout of copper, from the mirrors of the women who performed tasks at the entrance of the tent of meeting.
1: Moses made this?
0: I think it's Moses. It's implied by... Other parts of the story that Moses is at least involved in collecting the mirrors, who is the he? Who is the referent for the he here? Oh no, it's Bet Salel who's being referred to as he, who's like the sort of master artisan of the creation of the tabernacle.
1: So Bet Salel is taking away the mirrors of the ladies.
0: Yes, to make this lafer. Although, as we'll learn in the Midrash, he's not taking them away. They are voluntarily being given.
1: Oh, that's nice.
0: The women are excited to be able to help. So first we read in Midrash Tan Chuma, nine 9.4, "...when the Holy One, blessed be He, told Moses to build a tabernacle, all the Israelites brought their contributions." Some brought silver, others brought gold or copper or onyx stones or unset stones. They brought everything eagerly. The women asked themselves, what contribution can we make to the sanctuary? They arose and took their mirrors and brought them to Moses. When Moses saw them, he became angry with them. He said to the Israelites, take your canes and beat them on the shoulders. What purpose do these mirrors serve? And the Holy One, blessed be he, called out to Moses, Moses, Do you mistreat them because of these? These very mirrors produced the hosts in Egypt. Take them and make a basin of brass and its base for the priests that they may sanctify the priests from it. So basically, Moses is like, vanity, all these vain bitches with their mirrors. Like, how dare you use something so petty? Once again, Moses revealed to be kind of a dick.
1: Yeah, he's just acting out. He just never got a date. You know,
0: early on. (laughs) He never got a date. He never got proper parenting. Like some people throw away others' mirrors and spurn them because of trauma. Yeah. So maybe think about how you talk about Moses. Mm -hmm, mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) That's true. But God is like, these mirrors. But God is
0: like, no, these mirrors are great.
1: But he says they were used.
0: To produce the hosts in Egypt. So I'm going to tell you about that, which is from Rashi. On this verse. So Rashi on this verse said the Israelite women possessed mirrors of copper into which they used to look when they adorned themselves. Even these they did not hesitate to bring as a contribution towards the tabernacle. Now Moses was about to reject them since they were made to pander to their vanity. But the Holy One, blessed be he, said, Accept them. These are dearer to me than all the other contributions, because through them the woman reared those huge hosts in Egypt. For when their husbands were tired from the crushing labor, they would bring them food and drink and induce them to eat. And then they would gaze in the mirrors, and each gaze at herself in her mirror together with her husband, saying endearingly to him, See, I am handsomer than you. Thus, they awakened their husband's affection and subsequently became the mothers of many children. This is what it refers to when it speaks about the mirrors of the women who reared the hosts in Midrash Tanhumah. And it was for this reason that the lava was made of them, because it served the purpose of promoting peace between man and wife, because by giving of its waters, aka the Sota waters, to a woman whose husband had shown himself to be jealous of her and who nevertheless had associated with another, thus affording her an opportunity to prove. Her innocence. So the deal is that when the Israelites were in Egypt, the Israelite women had these mirrors. When their husbands came home from work, they would greet them with a martini and a steak, and they would look in the mirror. Maybe together, they would everyone would gather around the mirror (laughs) and they would say, Look at me, I'm so pretty. I'm prettier than you. And then the husband would think to himself, You are pretty. Now that I think about it, and then through the divine plan, they would become pregnant with many children and produce the many hosts that would be instrumental to their exodus from Egypt.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's like the mirror was kind of like a stand in for the guy's best friend who says like, oh, I would totally fuck your wife. And then the guy's (laughs) like, well, you know, maybe I should. This is this best friend
0: phenomenon I am not familiar with. What? What? I don't know this character.
1: I don't know. I mean, I the mirror is playing the role of like an, a third party making a comment right, on the beauty of right. the wife.
0: Either way, it's uh wacky. It is wacky. And also the side note is that the mirrors become the vessel which holds the Soto waters, which are part of the sort of adultery witch trial, which Rashi interprets here as a positive thing because it gives the women an opportunity to prove their innocence. Because otherwise right. we would just have to assume they were sluts if we didn't have this magic potion to give them to prove it.
1: Well, now it's like slut is a badge of honor, right?
0: Right, right.
1: So I kind of wonder if you're like, you are not a slut. And they're like, no, uh, <laughs> I am a slut. Is that? You know what I mean? You could almost uh, do you the- know
0: y'all have to i'm i don't know what the kids are doing these days
1: yeah i don't know either
0: i'm just uh you're just
1: a slut i'm
0: just a slut and life (laughs) is a nightmare (laughs) Uh,
1: oh (laughs) yeah so
0: yeah so of course i had to bring this because it's literally them destroying all the mirrors just like nadia's mother did yeah So like how could I not bring this text? I didn't come with like a pre-prepared like, and this is how the mirrors are Nadia and the Israelite women are Alan. I didn't like come with any thing, but I just had to bring it. I think it's cool. I love anytime God tells off Moses for being too much of a bro. I love that God is like, you know, really embracing the femme solidarity here
1: yeah, he's basically saying these objects are very valuable because they make the women beautiful.
0: Right. And because they were instrumental to sustaining the nation because they allowed perception of self and other, which is what allows intimacy. Uh, so think about that.
1: Think about that.
0: Israelites.
1: And the mirror is like an objective, like, I
0: don't know. <laughs> <laughs> objective thing. universe.
1: And it's like, you know that you can see yourself, and because you know yourself, you can fuck your wife.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Or something. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really talk about in the episode, or at least I don't remember hearing, why Nadia's mother shattered all the mirrors. But it makes me think about, like, maybe she didn't want to perceive or be perceived, you know? She wanted to sort of escape reality. Yeah. And... She wanted to ex- escape the loop of, of self-perception and perception by other.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was I started thinking about what the second season is, and I haven't watched it. You ju- you've just told me it goes back and, you know, there's more mm-hmm. uh, into Nadia's history, family history. And I was thinking her mom is somehow reacting to being the child of Holocaust survivors.
0: Oh, we're going to see all about that in season two. <laughs> all right, all right. We're going to learn. No spoilers yet. But yeah, I mean, this is just like a classic drosh about mirrors that i had to bring yeah that's just great just quality just love that god did that
1: i'm into it thank you god thanks god
0: <laughs> thanks god for embracing vanity vanity is good actually i guess also like this is like a little bit of a reach but it feels like a one of the few moments possibly one of the only moments i can personally think of off the top of my head in talmud i guess this is midrash technically in midrash or in jewish text where the author takes time to reflect on the importance of like the unseen aesthetic and emotional labor that women are always doing in the background
1: yeah that yeah that's interesting and
0: this is so i was just talking with a friend about this that like in our society all the labor of femininity needs to be invisible you know it's sexy to have shaved legs it's not sexy to shave your legs And what you do to become, to fulfill, like, society's criteria of beauty is, like, is meant to be sort of invisibilized. And I have speculated before, and I'm sure other people wiser than me have speculated this, that part of the reason trans women are such a challenge to society is because our process of inhabiting womanhood is inherently visibilized. It's because we're self-made women, and, and that fact is unavoidable that it sort of breaks the gendered order
1: yeah 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 that's interesting yeah there's something to that i like the expression self-made woman for trans (laughs) woman that's that's cute
0: and so i feel like moses is really like living that life here like he is i imagine that moses is happy for there to be beautiful women around the camp oh yeah But he doesn't want to see those mirrors. He doesn't want to know about it. He doesn't want them brought to his face. He wants all the mirror gazing and women beautifying themselves to be in secret away.
1: But I feel like oftentimes the trans reaction to the feminine secrets is, I got to go to YouTube and learn them all. Show them all (laughs) to me now.
0: Well, obviously, each and every person has their own approach to the beginning of their transition. But, I mean, I do feel like there's... When I first started transitioning, I really felt this secrecy of gendered labor because I felt like there were so many tricks that no one would explain to me and so many unwritten rules and like so many things that I needed to do to sort of like fulfill woman to the satisfaction of other people that no one would explain to me what I was doing wrong. Just like I was constantly receiving the message, like, not like that. And then I would be like, like what? How should I do it? And they're like, just not like that, okay? <laughs> Figure it out.
1: Oh, now I'm like, tell me the secrets. Tell me the <laughs> dirty secrets of being a woman. Especially
0: in the age of social media, it's really not so secret. Everything I feel like is changed by the mirror of social media. Yeah. The f- smartphone, the ultimate mirror.
1: Mm. Um You know what one of those secrets is? What? Fallout from eyeshadow. No, no, the <laughs> eyeshadow. Like, how do you get rid of Fallout?
0: Oh, I never really experienced Fallout from my eyeshadow.
1: I just love that it's called Fallout.
0: (laughs) So I guess what I'm saying is part of what I love about this text is, like, it's a very rare moment where that gendered order is, in a sideways way, sort of being named, and I think like the fact that our main character is a woman and that the parent that we're most going into her issues with is a woman, I feel like speaks to the the genderedness of what self-perception and perception by others is like. You know, like mm. this this show would be totally different if we were dealing with Nadia's father or if we were or if Nadia was a man. Like everyone has their own struggles with the adventure of being known, but there is like a unique set of expectations about how you should be perceived and how you should prepare to be perceived that I feel like is connected to mirrors and connected to this story and like connecting Nadia to the women of the tabernacle, basically.
1: Yeah. I mean, just now I'm thinking about how Nadia approaches her own perception.
0: Right. And also how Nadia, Nadia's beauty routine. I mean, her hair is looking spectacular (laughs) every day and yet clearly it's implied that all she does is like roll out of bed and yeah, light yeah. up a cigarette, but that hair is not roll out of bed and light up a cigarette hair.
1: No, she's plopping, she's scrunching, yeah, she's doing all. She's of got
0: us, she's got us like silk hair wrap at night. Yep, <laughs> those all curls of it. are taken care of. Absolutely, and yet it must be invisible. We can't see Nadia doing her makeup because it would undercut the tough exterior of her character. Anyway. This is, we've spiraled off into a totally other world, but I feel like we've basically reached the natural end of our thoughts on this wonderful episode.
1: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <sighs> well, listeners, Michael, number one listener, thank you so much for joining us in this journey through the looking glass. And we will catch you in the next one. Talk to you soon. Shavuot.
1: Shavuot.